Welcome to the 801 Horror Cult. Today, listeners, we're going to be discussing cold cases. Dun, dun, dun. Frigid and unpleasant. Super unpleasant. So today's episode comes with a warning Mm -hmm. because we are going to be discussing facts about things that really happened. We'll be discussing murder and possible motives behind murder. And diddlers. And diddlers, because there's always diddlers whenever we do these shows. <laughs> it's like we're a diddle magnet. That's not good. No. <laughs> well, hopefully we don't repel anyone who's listening. No. Even though we magnetize the horror. I don't know. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> I might have triggered everyone just by that bad joke. I hope I don't tr- trigger you with our show. <laughs> But we are going to discuss some disturbing things. Mm-hmm. So be aware graphic. that it might get uncomfortable and it might get a little graphic. But we love that you're listening to us mm-hmm. and we hope that you enjoy it. And we need to spread, spread the word of these cold cases so we can get them solved. Yes. If you have any tips, contact your local police force so that they can do their investigating and we can get more people brought to justice. And then maybe if we can get an update and if it's from one of our listeners, you will be on our show. Ooh, prizes. That would be fun. That would be fun. I'm sorry for them, though. They'd have to deal with us in person. I mean, they keep listening to us, <laughs> so they might like the torture. It's true. You like it rough. It's fine. <laughs> so without further ado, cold cases. Dun, dun, dun. Welcome back, listeners. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we're going to be talking about some cold cases that come out of Utah. Woo! Because it's wintertime and we're all frigid. (laughs) We were frigid in the summer. (laughs) We were salty in the summer. (laughs) Oh, that's true, because we were sweaty. (laughs) And now we're frigid. Yep, but I'm still free in my knees. I am too, and kind of regretting it. Yeah. Yeah, I also have sandals on. Yeah, and I'm a fan of slip-on shoes. I don't really like socks, and I don't like shoes that are super binding either. That makes sense. And um, the other day, I saw a girl. She had to be, like, late teens. Maybe she was around 20. Mm -hmm. She was wearing the same sandals I was with socks. And I was like, now if that ain't Utah, I don't know what is. I refuse to be that Utah. It's also a very dad thing to do. I know. <laughs> or like to wear your tube socks all the way up. So there's this like, you know, I do that. <laughs> but you have knee socks. That's, that's different. True. Like, you know, it goes past your ankle and then there's this large gap of flesh between the bottom of their khakis. <laughs> like, They're expecting their floods. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but the sock will slightly cover some of the area. <laughs> we, we could do a show on the horrors of fashion. Utah fashion specifically, because there's some free, like, you know, someone's from Utah when they have the Karen cut. Mm -hmm. It's a thing. Yeah. (laughs) What I don't get is the big puffy coats and shorts in the winter. So I am guilty of that. (laughs) So today, the cold cases we're going to be covering is going to be. I'm so excited. What was known as the Salty Sally um, or Nicole Bacoles, I guess is her name. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. <laughs> and then the famous or infamous Susan Powell case. Mm-hmm. We're which... coming for you, Powells. Pa-pa-pow to the Powells. That's right. You guys are horrible people. Not all Powells, but the ones we're talking about. Yeah. Oh. 
the the in particular characters that we're talking about absolutely terrible terrible poor susan but this salty sally oh i'm excited for you guys to hear about it i'm excited about it um when we went digging for cold cases um she jumped out at me for two reasons for one that her case took place in uh march of 2000 so this was right at the beginning of our high school career kira we were still kids <laughs> We didn't get paid for it. No. <laughs> Apparently, we got knowledge in an exchange. All I'm saying is that, like, a paycheck would have been far more valuable than the knowledge uh, I, I got. I think more kids would have been more with it if we all got paid to go. Right. Or at least if we if we got to do fun things and weren't trapped in a classroom using books that were older than us. It is true. <laughs> um, the other thing that, um, that intrigued me about this case um, was that her remains were found near um, the I-80 road near Saltaire. And so that immediately reminded me of the Black Dahlia. Yeah. Um, because it was just, you know, this random body and it was a young woman. When I started looking into the case, the thing that made me really sad is that this woman was around our age. She was only five years older than us. She was born in 1980. Oh, shit. Yeah. So she was a very young adult um, by the time she disappeared and, sad. you know, died. This case was originally an unidentified found remains case. So what had happened is that there were several human bones found along the I-80 by duck hunters in October of 2000. Um, they were located in a field off of the I-80 frontage road about 1.5, excuse me, 1.5 miles east of Saltaire. So Saltaire is a, um, it's interesting to explain it. So it's a concert <laughs> arena for anybody outside of Utah. It is a concert arena. That's what they use it for. And raves. Um, and raves. Sometimes they mm -hmm. will have festivals that will come through yeah. um, and they'll utilize it. I think the state fair in the past has utilized it before for certain mm -hmm. events. Um, but what it was originally was at the turn of the 20th century, it was this grand place where aristocrats and the rich could come and have like a summer like a summer vacation. So once upon a time, I think there used to be cabins where you could like go to the actual Salt Lake, our quote unquote beach, and, you know, have <laughs> a beach vacation, right? Because mm -hmm. people who were aristocratic on the East, you went to the beach, you know, you went to like Manhattan Beach and you went to the New Jersey Shore and, and all sorts of stuff. But in Utah, you're so far inland, you don't have that. So what do you do? You set up a fancy <laughs> castle by a stinky lake and hope that rich people buy it. They didn't. They did actually until there was a huge flood. Um, and then there were, I think it also burned down at one point. Uh -huh. The original Saltaire burned down and then they built the one that's up now. Yeah. Which that one I have been to many a time. I've been to it a few times as well. Um, it looks like a <laughs> so cast. So many concerts. It, it looks like one of those, I think it's, are they temples, um, or um, buildings in Russia that have the, like. Where the czars live. Yeah. It looks like one of those things. I, think, I don't know if you'd consider that a palace. I think a palace. A palace. Maybe? Something. Well, because, yeah. I think a palace, would that work? It just, the architecture yeah. just reminds oh, me of those yeah. castles because it has like the, the Hershey kiss drop <laughs> at the yeah. top. It's very cool looking. So if you're listening, Google it right now and see some cool pictures, particularly mm -hmm. those from um, the turn of the century when it was built. I'll post pictures too once this comes out. So this woman was found and they didn't know anything about it. They just knew that there were these remains and they couldn't identify anything. Um, the case went cold almost immediately. Twelve years later, it was opened back up um, because they had new technologies in the police force and they were able to identify 
um, DNA and compare her and compare it to a family member. Um, so Nicole was age 20 and she was a young mother to a young daughter at the time of her disappearance. She was from the Washington area where her family still resides. Um, so her family lost contact with her when she lived in Salt Lake city in 1998 because she was dating this, uh, man named Joel, uh, Cha Dion. He was a winner. (laughs) He was clearly not. Yeah. I was joking. (laughs) Yeah. Um, they, the two of them got into, um, they had a tumultuous relationship. So obviously mm-hmm. there was a level of abuse there. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, uh, they got into drug use. So they identified her using stable isotope ratio mass spectrometry, which is called SIRMS. S-I-R-M. SIRM. They decided to use it for the Saltair Sally case. Um, so what this process involves is analyzing people's hair um, to to trace where they people live. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't read and talk at the same time. This technology involves analyzing people's hair um, with trace exam- with trace samples of where someone might live. So the ratio of stable isotopes of oxygen-hydrogen atoms in a person's hair is related to the ratio of stable isotopes in his or her local drinking water. So they could trace who she, wa- who she was, or rather where she was from, based on the isotopes from the water she had drank in her hair. That's so crazy and Isn't awesome. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, what I love about this is that Utah has very mineral-rich mineral water. Mm-hmm. We also um, take great care to clean our water. So a lot of our water that comes out of our tap in the Salt Lake area is a lot cleaner than even bottled water that you would find. So I love that they use this because I feel like it would make Utah an easy place to narrow down as opposed like, to other doing. states. <laughs> yeah. That definitely makes sense. I love it when you speak nerd to me, Gary. <laughs> when I speak nerdy. <laughs> so after they did, after they figured out that it was Nicole, they did a DNA sampling with a, a family member in Washington. So her remains were found by the duck hunters in October of 2000. She was 26 bones, a purple beaded necklace, and an oversized t-shirt. This hit hard for me because, like, this is my type of gal. Like, this is me. Like, yeah. this body could have easily been me. It was by the Saltair, clearly went to a concert, had some sort of rock band t-shirt, crazy jewelry. Dear God, is this Mary? What concert? Doesn't matter. What if we were at that concert? That's what I'm saying. How creepy would that be? I went to so many there. I'm still like... Then. Whoa. I love when I find stuff that hits close to home to places I've been. I've been oh my God. Like, <laughs> I was a kid. I would go to that, I would go to that Saltair place multiple times as mm-hmm. an adult. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, and over, she was a skull with waist length hair and rotting teeth that had been scattered by natural predators. Man. So not only were her, was her body just carelessly dumped off of an interstate next to a rotting concert hall, because Saltair, cool as it is, it's, (laughs) it's pretty musky in there. Um. Not to mention the salty smell. Yeah, the brine shrimp and all that. (laughs) Yeah. It's grossness. Yeah, it's not. So bad. No, no. Oh, if they would have found her body sooner and she was at a concert and if she got like close to other people, do you think someone would have been like framed for murder at, like unintentionally because their DNA was on her from their sweat? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like and then like that person would have been caught? Possibly. But they didn't do it. But like it. if that's the only if that's the only particle of evidence, that wouldn't stick in court. That's true, because they'd be like, well, all these sweaty people. Were yeah. Right here. 
<laughs> it just reminds but me of trippy, a horror though, right? It reminds me of a horror movie where there's a rotting corpse outside of where everybody's party partying. Right, and you're like, how did you miss that? Right. So in 1997 or 98, Nikki had left Washington to move to Sandy, Utah, to live with her boyfriend Joel. Um, he lived here for his work. The two of them had a tumultuous relationship, like I said. And um, before she moved, she gave her contact information to her um, family. Again, as I mentioned, her relationship with Joel, she started using drugs. She returned home to Washington shortly after she got pregnant. And at this time, she was addicted to drugs. So good on her for being like, I need to be a better mother for my baby. Yeah. She went back home. She got clean. Her family was supporting her. So in July of 1998, so I would assume a few months after she moved back home, Joel starts calling her. You know, presumably, hey, baby, I miss you. Let me see my daughter, this, that, and the other. Because we all know how men are really good about, <laughs> you know, captivating a woman. They know especially if say. they've been in a relationship with her before. Yeah. All the right words. You know too much about us, and now you can <laughs> fuck with our emotions. Unless you're a good guy. They're just hard to find these days. <laughs> yeah. In October of 1998, Nikki gave birth to their daughter at this time she had moved back in with joel so in july he came knocking at her door she accepted in october they finally they had their baby girl nikki's family family came down to visit um the new baby nikki did go back to see her family twice in 1999 she stayed for a month one time but then when she came back after that so in 1999 when she returned home to utah she started using drugs again and had been arrested twice by utah police um, at this point, her family had pretty much lost contact with her and Joel because they had moved around so much, mm. um, given that they were using drugs and getting in trouble with the law. Sad. Yes. So in March of 2000, Nikki's mother, Nancy, learned that Child Protective Services in Utah had been to Nikki's apartment. They did not like the condition that the child was living in and said that there was going to be a hearing to determine whether or not Nikki could take care of the child. So Nikki was last seen on March 15th, 2000, living with Joel in a hotel in South Salt Lake. Uh, Joel stated they had an argument and that he left. He claims that the last time he, that was the last time he ever saw her. Nobody claims to have seen her alive after March 15th. So Nikki's family reported her missing on March 13, 2000. Police investigated but didn't find any clues to Nikki's whereabouts. Authorities in Utah say the family didn't officially report her missing until 2003, where she was actually listed as missing. Nikki's relatives, they say they called the authorities first in Washington State and even hired a private investigator, but they made little headway without knowing her address in Utah or having proof she even vanished. And then in 2006, her family found a Seattle arrest for Nikki, but it was a mistake. So for a long time... This family lost contact with her, their daughter, knew that she had this tumultuous relationship, knew she was getting in trouble with the law, but wasn't able to contact her. Um, police weren't able to file anything initially because they had little information. Um, and then they got a mislead in 2006. So this entire time, the family doesn't know what's happening with their daughter, but they're earnestly trying to find her. I couldn't even imagine that. That would be like right. just a roller coaster of emotions right. all the time because you never know, especially when you're mixed in with drugs. Right. And you have a shady boyfriend. Yeah. Like, so I'm not a mother and, but like I have a lot of mothering instincts. And for me, I feel like I would know that my daughter's dead. And just to not be able to get any headway to have mm -hmm. that closure, to know that my intuition is correct or yeah. to honor her memory just would drive me crazy as a mom. Oh. Oh, and another thing, like, it's hard to say until you're in it, but it's like, girl, you just got your life together and you took back that jabroni. I know. 
It, it happens. Though. Like, we're we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that because this also plays into the Susan Powell case. Absolutely. And you and I, Kira, have <laughs> have a knack for attracting narcissists. So so Kira and I... We sure do. This, Like I said, this, this kind of hits home with the stuff that we're talking about. Um, yeah. Abuse. Don't, right. don't go for it, people. Men and women. Trust, we all go through it. Yeah. Trust behavior and patterns over yeah. anything else. If they say they're going to get better, will they? Probably not. Meet with their therapist before you take them back. Like, if they say they're going to get better, they have already gotten a therapist and have been talking through it. So just ask for their therapist information. Oh, you have? Well, honey, I'm so proud of you. What's your Let me give your therapist a call. Can you sign a HIPAA form so I can see? (laughs) Don't make it easy for abusers to abuse you. That's all I got to say. I mean, but sometimes they rope a dope you so you don't realize how it's too totally. late. I'm saying when you start to see those red flags, yeah. pay attention to those red flags and don't make it easy for them. Yeah. Don't don't like poo-poo those and make excuses for those red flags. Right. Because part of abuse there for is, a reason. <laughs> part of abuse is instigating and the other part is enabling. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get lost in the enabling part and yeah. forget that that's kind of the fuel to any abuser's fire and that's really where it needs to be put yeah. out. Stop enabling them. So when her body was finally found at the scene, um, there was little evidence. So there was little clothing. She had a necklace choker with three, oh my gosh, with three strands of small blue purple beads woven into a rope type design that (laughs) was found. totally that era. I know. (laughs) And I still to this day dress like I'm in this era. And that's why I'm like. Sometimes I do. (laughs) Seriously, this could have been me. (laughs) I'm mostly like hoodies, shorts, and knee highs and band t-shirts like the occasional like which i want to point out i so i have a lot of ink for those of you who don't know i have a full sleeve on my right arm i have a chest piece and i have two quarter socks one on each leg yeah you got way more ink than i do i have quite a bit of ink people have given me so much shit particularly older people and the thing that always (laughs) i take comfort in is well you know what if i ever get butchered or slaughtered up i'm gonna be identified Uh because of my tattoos yep Unless they cut off your tattoos. Nobody's going to take that time. I have way too many of them. And if somebody, and if a body appears with like skin ripped off the chest, no legs and no arm, you're going to know it's me. Burn you. That, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Don't give people ideas, Kara. Don't burn Mary. Don't cut off. I mean, if you're going to burn me, roast me, but don't actually light my ass on fire. Funny roasting. There is mixed information on how her remains were found. Some sources say that she re- the remains were found buried in a shallow grave and that pieces of an extra large Hanes t-shirt were, sa- were found close to the bones. Some sources also say um, that buried in a shallow grave with a large plastic bag containing a white sock and oversized t-shirt, the choker bones, a long ponytail, and a human skull. Despite the uncertainty, the remains were likely found in a plastic bag as investigators claim that the nature of her discovery leads them to believe that it was homicide. <sighs> so sad um investigators as well as the coroner believed that the woman had been dead for one to two years before she was found and that contributed to the difficulty identifying the remains i want to stop here um because i love forensic pathology and anthropology anthropology especially because i am obsessed with bones and the fact that when we leave this earth that's all that remains of us Uh um and so i just want to you know, we think about crime things today and we think about like how bones have DNA and all that and how it's just so easy to go get DNA. It's only easy if you have a lead that tells you that that person has the DNA of which you're about to test. 
Yeah. When you come across bones, it's incredibly difficult to identify. It's incredibly difficult to identify how long the bones were there, um, how what the bones sustained at the time of death, and what the bones sustained while being left, because she was subject to predators. Mm-hmm. So the the sheer investigation that went into this case um, beforehand had have, had have been so frustrating and so excruciating. Oh. For the, for the pathologist that was doing it <laughs> and for also the investigators. Yeah. So when you think about cold cases and the injustices of the American judicial system, it seems so easy and yet we forget about these complex layers. Yeah, it's not like CSI on TV. Yeah, it's not. It's absolutely <sighs> it's not. It's so complex and it's harder. And even though it's, it's still the 21st century in 2000, we've advanced so much in digital technology within the last 10 years absolutely like every year yeah which is why it took so long for them to identify her because again they had to wait the 10 years for the technology to be um developed before they could identify her Mm -hmm. so based on how she was found she was called salty saltair sally by the police no local missing persons report fit the biological profile of salty saltair sally's remains and neither the facial reconstruction nor the description of the personal effects yielded any clues to her identity so they abandoned the case. It was now cold. For good reason. Yeah. Very good reason. It would be so frustrating working a lot of those cases because a lot of them end up being cold cases. Yeah. And and this is why, like, I, I, again, why I love the pathology and forensics behind it because they're the ones that close the case. They're the ones that identify what happened mm-hmm. and who it was. And then that gives the police everything they need. Yeah. So in 2008, the authorities discovered the new identification technique, which I mentioned before, the stable isotope ratio mass spectrometry. So at that point, um, they got the technology. And then in 2012, they were finally able to test her, her DNA and her hair and identify her. And her mother had help in this as well. Um, in 2011, Nancy came across Saltair Sally's facial reconstruction and was convinced that those remains were her daughters. She contacted authorities, but police said the remains were most likely not her missing daughters. They said this because of the height, weight, hair, color, and time of death didn't match Nikki's description. Um, the main reason, though, was the time of death, but that's because the coroner was wrong. Uh-huh. And a coroner, I just want to point out, is not necessarily a pathologist doctor or um, an anthropologist doctor. Well, that and all the drugs that she did, of course, that's going to, like, change how she looks. And how long, and the natural predators, and what was the weather like in 2000. Like, you're, so that's the other thing. And you're by the salty thing. That's what I was about to say. Like, (laughs) it's in Utah, and it's right next to the lake. Yeah. Right next to the lake with all the salt. Even the salt in the atmosphere when you go up there. So eventually authorities compared Saltar Sally's travels in the Pacific Northwest to Nikki's case and Saltar Sally's isotope analyst showed that Saltar Sally had traveled from Utah to Washington. So here is where they decided, okay, this this might actually be Nancy's daughter. They went out, they got the DNA. Now the the case has a face, but the... It's still unsolved to this day. Mm-hmm. So in 2012, um, Utah Police Department said detectives had reopened the case but had no suspects. Authorities had already questioned her ex-boyfriend, Joel, and he was not considered a suspect in the case. However, there is now a possible person of interest as of December 2020, which I didn't find. On our Facebook group, when this episode is released, we will discuss theories on what you think happened to the two cases we're talking about today. Joel is obviously going to be your person of interest and Mm -hmm. is obviously going to be the likely killer. I'm going to say no simply because 
when it comes to apprehending someone for felony cases, uh-huh. the police are incredibly thorough. Like, they actually don't want to give up on a subject until they come to a dead-end road. It's true, because they miss out on actual killers a lot in a lot of these cases. Not only that, but police police get funding <laughs> based on how many cases they close, too. So it's always... Oh, that's why they're always quick to close. <laughs> yep. It's oh. always in their best interest to... To find a person. Um, so when they can't prove it's somebody, they really can't. Uh-huh. Um, so I I believe that Joel was part of her demise in that he was abusive in some way, shape, or form. And that he led her down. Got her back into drugs. Well, I think he probably introduced her to drugs. Yeah. And then he was dependent on drugs. And so he coerced her into going back into it because it was something he needed. Which is sad for both of so them. So I, I feel like it was a codependent, toxic relationship for whatever reason. And I feel that was part of her demise. But I think that likely, um, based on what I've shared with you, I think that probably mm-hmm. what would, what was happening is, or what happened is, she left in a in a huff, right? Like, fuck Joel. I'm going to break up with him. Like, he's a dick, blah, blah, blah. She goes somewhere to cool off, whatever. She meets another guy. Ah, Here's your killer. A victim of circumstance. Mm-hmm. I think she was a victim of circumstance. And I think that whatever transpired was a quick, maybe it was a hit and quit it. Maybe it was a, maybe it ended up being a rape, unfortunately. Maybe it yeah. was a, let me console you. Here's some coffee that I've drugged. But I think it was a situation of girls in peril, girls vulnerable, I'm out looking to yeah. kill. And because they couldn't find her remains sooner, it's and hard because, to say how she died or any evidence that way. And because it was off of the interstate, so who's to say he wasn't yeah. one of those silo girls that goes to another state mm-hmm. to kill and then just tosses it on the way. I was going to say, what if it's like a budding serial killer or otherwise? Yeah, yeah. And then someone calling back in. Again, Black Dahlia bullshit. Like, somebody calling in saying, (laughs) I did it. Mysterious circumstances. Mm -hmm. But, um, so to you, Saltair Sally, Miss Nicole, I'm sorry you went through what you went through. Absolutely. Your story hits home and is definitely very interesting tie to Utah. Hopefully someone out there can give a lead to closing your case. So let's turn the time over now to... The disappearance of Miss Susan Cox Powell. Oh, so sad. It gives me goosebumps. I just, I gotta start and just, just say my hatred for her husband. Right? I forgot his name. I hate Josh. him so much. Josh. 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 <laughs> it makes me think of, have you seen uh, What We Do in the Shadows? Yes. <laughs> Did you ever see the girl where she's like, can't get over saying this name and she's just like, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> that one's Jeff. It's the same. Josh. Jeff. You say it with that disgusted But face. that's Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I think of when I think of this Josh. She like has a frown and she barely moves her bottom lip. It's so funny. Jeff. Jeff. Yes. Josh Pell. I don't know where to begin. Let's. So what our, our <laughs> listeners have probably heard. Yeah, that's a tough one because it's so publicized. It's like, I I don't even know where to begin. So we're going to do a synapsis or synapsis. And then we're going to get it. We're going to snap it together. Make (laughs) it quick. Snappies. So the the short version is, woman is in an abusive relationship with her narcissistic husband. Woman wants to get divorced. Shortly thereafter, husband hears about divorce and hired attorney. Woman goes missing. Woman is not found. 
Husband is now being investigated as prime suspect. Husband then commits a murder-suicide by blowing up his house while his children are with him. That's yeah. the short end of the story. <laughs> it's, it's very true. There's so much more to that. And now we're going to go into the roasting, and we're going to marinate it and then roast it like we do. <laughs> so we're going to start with the beginning, which is when Susan and Josh met. So Susan and Josh were both um, citizens of Washington State. They were both Mormons, and they both met at a dinner party, which was, it was, so it was hosted, it was the LDS Church Institution of Religion that was hosting the dinner. So they were in college in Seattle, and some of their courses were Mormon courses or LDS courses, and one of these um, classes hosted a dinner party. They both attended, they ended up meeting, um, and they ended up getting married shortly thereafter. So they met in 2000, November, I want to point out, because this is this is a Mormon thing to do, I've noticed. And if you grow up in Utah, you know this is a thing. They met in November of 2000, and then they got married in April of 2001. That is less than six months. Mm-hmm. I know I know that 2000 to 2001 makes it sound like a year. It it's, wasn't. It was November no. to April. That's yeah. six months. That's because, you know, they want to get it on. That's because the goal of... <laughs> The goal to a lot of Christian theology is to multiply and procreate. And and you can't do that unless you're in a heterosexual. Supposedly, you can't do that unless you're in a heterosexual relationship. That's right. Otherwise, it's a mark against God. Yeah. Otherwise, you're offending God. Now, why God's so sensitive? I don't know. Why is God watching us do it? (laughs) Why is he a pervert? (laughs) Speaking of perverts, Josh. (laughs) His dad. And his dad. They're both pervs. Had a severe addiction to pornography. Mm-hmm. And not just any pornography. Cartoon porn! That was Josh's favorite. Ugh. But Josh's dad, Stephen. Tira, what type of porn did Stephen like? Um, he's a diddler. So he liked, you know, kitty porn. A lot of them was Peeping from Tom. his room. Gross. And he zoomed in. Gross. To these, like... The neighbor at one of the videotapes that the police found when they raided his house was videotapes of the little girl neighbors, like, taking baths, changing, That makes me sick. Yeah. The poor mom, when she found out, like, I saw a little interview on that. Oh, my God. I would murder. (laughs) Horrible, horrible man. He was in all kinds of porn, too, and he was also, you know, we'll get into it, but... He's obsessed with Susan. He was obsessed with Susan. Yeah. So much. There, if you guys want to learn more, because there's a more extensive podcast called Cold. Oh, it goes super in depth. Like this case is just layers upon layers of what the fuck. Yeah. Investigating the character of Josh and Steven and Susan. Absolutely. And poor Susan just got fucked on every angle. And the poor kid. So in psychology, there is a pull between narcissists and empaths because they enable each other. (laughs) Hey, that makes sense. And I've experienced (laughs) this for myself. Oh. Um, So after the two got married, um, Susan took up a job in Wells Fargo Investments and their family relocated to West Valley City, Utah. Or I'm sorry, I said that backwards. They relocated from Washington mm-hmm. to West Valley City, Utah. Susan took up a job at Wells Fargo Investments. She was a cosmetologist in Washington. Yeah, she was a trained <laughs> cosmetologist, but when she came to Utah, she mm-hmm. took up a white-collar job. 
The Pals went on to have two sons, Charles born in 2005 and Brayden born in 2007. This is where the story ends, is where they have a family. Like, their whole family is affected by this. Susan died, Uh Josh died, their boys died. This whole family was eradicated. Because of dickhead Josh. And his his father, Stephen. Because even though Josh was the puppet that did all the things, he learned it from Stephen. Absolutely. Stephen is is probably the the sociopath or the narcissistic that groomed Josh. I think he's both because um, Josh's parents divorced because Steve was such a terrible person and he had just porn laying around the house when they were growing up. Also, Stephen, so there's, I think, one or two daughters. So Josh has two sisters. He has two sisters. One's cool and was helping with the investigation. The other one is backing up her dumb family. Right. Girl, don't do it. Why? I mean, if she's as toxic as they, as I, they are, then yeah, yeah I totally understand the why you're only, doing it. There were only two, one son, because he has like, what, three, four brothers? A lot of brothers. And um, so I can't remember which daughter, but growing up, like the dad, Steve, was like, watching his daughter and That's, no. getting gross. I can't remember if he full like, molested her but like it was if not it was damn near close because he'd always make comments and whatnot but he's a diddler so at some point you're like what's gonna happen no no yeah those men need to be castrated absolutely um so some of the first flags that started showing up was following their wedding, Josh and Susan Susan had to live at Stephen Powell's home. So again, Stephen Powell is Josh's dad. <laughs> oh, that poor girl. While she was living there, Stephen developed an obsessive infatuation with her, which mm-hmm. was only inflamed by her cro- close proximity. So Stephen would do all sorts of creepy, inappropriate shit. Okay? So many things. Brace yourself, people. He would follow her around the house with a camcorder. He would use a small mirror to spy on her while she used the bathroom. Mm-hmm. He would steal her underwear from her laundry and he would read her june- journals. He even posted love love songs online <laughs> under a pseudonym about <laughs> he her. He wrote one and it's horrible. You can find it. It's so bad. So this part oh. rattles the fuck out of me uh-huh. because this is the same type of abuse that I endured with my last boyfriend. Ugh. And my last relationship ended in a protective order mm-hmm. and that man is now in jail with felony two charges. <gasps> is he? Yes. Not for me, for something oh, totally different and for something much worse than what he did to me. But I insisted that this man was a sociopath. Uh-huh. I ins- because listen. one of the things he did was he stole my journal while I was sleeping and read it and then hid it from me. And when what the police came to my door and I told him this, I told them this frantic, knowing that this is sociopathic behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, if it was in a common place, he had every right to read it. No, no, that's not how it works. I'm sorry. Are you, are you a, a man enabling another man of being invasive towards a woman's privacy? Because that's what it sounded well, like. Do you know what else he took from her? No. Her dirty tampons. <gasps> yeah. There is no need for that. Gross. That's it, so... Yeah. yeah. He had that along with her underwear. And, like, used stuff like um, cotton balls that she used for her nails. He had that. He had, like, a plethora of just So he, like, had trophies had. of, like, yes. her cells, basically. He, like, her yeah. bodily cells. And he would do video journals about her... And, like, there's one, and you can find it online everywhere, um, like, 
what all started it is she got her legs waxed one day and she was just having everyone feel how smooth her legs are. Yeah. And he took it as she wants to diddle him and they're meant to be forever. And that's what spiraled into this obsessive thing. Like, that's often even, what sociopaths yeah. do is that they take any gesture of kindness and then romanticize uh-huh. it to a point of obsession. And it's like, no. Wow. She just wanted you to feel because your legs are real smooth after getting wet. Yeah. It's, it's like, how it. is this? <laughs> right? It's like magic. It's like, how is this as smooth as like mm-hmm. a sphinx cat? Like, Oh, and then after you shave your legs, if you get under your sheets and it's yes. like, oh, it's the best feeling. Like, like you don't even have me. to have silk sheets. It just feels That's like That's right. I mean, I do. But even with regular sheets, it's like, oh, it's so nice and satisfying. Yeah. He was a weird man. Everyone needs to go listen to his song because it's really bad. He's actually why they moved to West Valley. Yes. I was just about to get into that. Thank you. Uh-huh. In 2003, Stephen confessed his amorous feelings to a stunned Susan who rejected him. The encounter inadvertently captured by Stephen's camcorder, mi- camcorder microphone. And you can find that online, too. It is creepy. The pals moved out of state soon after, partly so Susan could distance herself from Stephen. Josh promised to cut off all ties with his creepy dad. Which he didn't. He didn't at all. He, he lied. Didn't. But it's Josh. Josh. So. Josh. We're just going to see Josh. So Susan's journal entries and email correspondence, and these were things that were found as evidence after her body went, after she went missing, rather. Mm -hmm. So um, her entries indicated the presence of marital discord. And there was there was a lot of tension between her and and Joshua. um, But there were several reasons. So the first one was Josh refused to be a good Mormon and go to church. Mm -hmm. And she was very she was very devout. Yeah, she was very devout. She was a cool one, though. She seemed like a cool one, not not the uptight. <laughs> yeah, she seemed like she was a little bit more down to earth and yeah. not so captivated by theology. He uh, would not cut off contact with Stephen. He still maintained his relationship with his father. Um, her friends pointed out how controlling his behavior was mm-hmm. and that he had extravagant spending habits. Habits. They were over $200,000 in debt because of his... Um, splurging and inability to be financially stable. He had control over all of her money. Like, she was the breadwinner, and he controlled everything. He would not let her spend stuff. Right. He made the kids share a hot dog. That's how cheap he was. Right. But he, they also lived in a very, um, so they lived in West Valley, which is, um, more economic, we'll say, than the rest (laughs) of, than some of the other suburbs around Salt Lake. Uh Um, We're more of the economic blue-collar type jobs. He did not have a blue-collar job. He had a white-collar job. She had a white-collar job. They lived in an area of West Valley that is more newly developed, that was a larger house. Um, So he, and it was, it was so that he could live, Josh was the type of person that wanted to have prestige and live up to this image. Which goes with the narcissist. It does. It definitely do- goes with the narcissistic attitude. And that's why he had control is because he's the man. Mm-hmm. Um, Mormonism is a very patriarch is a patriarchal religion. So the man is, is the head of the household, whether or not he's the breadwinner. And that's exactly how Steve was, too, which is exactly. why he and his wife divorced because he was horrible. Exactly. Um, so... Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, In this circumstance. What, what, you, what you learn at home is what you take home. I will say it that way. <laughs> yeah. So on the morning of December 6, 2009, uh, Susan, Charles, and Braden attended church services. 
A neighbor then visited their home that afternoon, leaving around five, and this was the last time Susan was seen by someone outside the Powell family. You found some interesting information about this last appearance of Susan Powell. So I want you to take it away and tell us about... Okay. So her friend slash neighbor was over there and they were hanging out, and Josh, who doesn't do a damn thing, he doesn't cook... He doesn't clean. He makes Susan do everything plus work. And he just sits there and builds computers and shit and spends money. Builds, quote unquote. (laughs) Actually, like when she documented it, it's pretty fancy. And I don't know But like this was was a hobby though, right? (laughs) This wasn't his work. Okay. No, no, it's all just his narcy hobby of he had to have the best of everything. But so um, they were hanging out and he decided that he was going to cook pancakes, which was a weird indication for everybody involved. Something's for us, missed. the listeners, for the friend who was like, he never cooks. I, we don't know about Susan because we didn't get her. No, we didn't <laughs> But get she her probably opinion. was like, this is weird. So first of all, he called, I think, his dad to see how to make pancakes. How do you need a recipe for pancakes? And why it's are you right calling dad her. instead of mom for pancake recipes? Well, it's because there's poison in it. (laughs) Possibly because he made them. And the friend stated that he would make it weird because it was one pancake at a time. That's suspicious. Like, did he put something in it to knock her up? Because after. Mm -hmm. So after they ate the pancakes, this nice gesture by Josh. Josh. Susan said she was really tired suddenly. And so the friend... Suspicious. Exactly. Being a good friend, I will let you get some rest. Have a lovely evening. She was being super cool, super nice. She's like, all right. And then that's the last time anyone saw Susan besides Josh. Dun, dun, dun. Uh Uh-huh. So the next day, the children were supposed to be... I can't remember if they dropped off or be picked up by a friend Mm -hmm. to take them to school. Or wherever it was. Kid, whatever. I don't know. Children things. <laughs> but You're anyways. Correct. Yeah. So um, the lady hadn't heard. Like the time came and went that the kids were supposed to be there. Nothing. So she tried to call. She couldn't get a hold of anybody. Then when she finally got a hold of someone, Josh said, oh, he thought that it was Sunday because he was supposed to go to work. He thought it was Sunday, and so he took his children on a late night camping trip. So the entire Powell family was reported missing on mm-hmm. December 7th because no one was at home when someone came by to pick up the children. Yeah. And they called oh. the police when they failed to make contact with Josh and Susan. <laughs> the police went to the residence. They mm-hmm. broke into the house because they feared carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. And they talked to the sister to make, because it was a welfare check. The, they needed approval to break the window. Yes. And the sister of Josh approved. Right. And Josh got butthurt after. <laughs> so when they entered the house, they found no one inside but noticed two box fans blowing a wet spot on the couch. I cannot I tell you how many cleaned. cases, cold cases especially, where when they come in, there's always some sort of wet spot. <sighs> yep. Recently cleaned. Recently cleaned. Susan also did not show up for her job that day. Nope. And yet her purse, wallet, and identification were all found at her house. Her cell phone was later found in the family's only vehicle, a Chrysler Town & Country min- minivan that Josh had been using. It it was in the, the middle console. Like it had been hidden? No. Like it had fallen? 
Nope. It was that right there. So, so it happened. So they did that and they were trying to get a hold of him and being like, hey, Susan didn't come to work. Like, where are you and the kids and Susan and whatnot? And he's like, I'm in West Valley. I will be there with the kids a little bit. Like, just like, and then what he did is he turned around. Mm-hmm. He turned like 45 minutes away from where he was. So he did not go back to the house. He didn't go talk to the police. I don't know where he went, but it was 45 minutes away. And then that is when he called Susan's phone. to be Oh, like, my gosh. And that's when he tried to set up his alibi by saying, oh, honey, we're on our way back. No, and- you set up your alibi first. Exactly. And then you do your crime. No, he's stupid. And his phone was there the whole time. And he's like, so he he knew what he was doing because he had her phone right there. And to prove this further, <sighs> oh. later that same day, yes. so again, December 7th, at around 5 p.m., Josh returns home with the boys and was, was taken to the police station for questioning. So long after they had called. He, he was gone the entire day. Entire day. Because Wells Fargo <laughs> would have opened at 9 and noticed she wasn't there by 10. Mm-hmm. So this is an entire day. Mm-hmm. And, like... He, after knowing she didn't go to work like they told him Susan didn't go to work, he called Susan, left a message saying, I'm going to pick you up from work. What does he do instead of going home like he should have? Another part of this ridiculous thing was he drove to her work to pick her up like it was setting up the rest of the alibi, even though he was already told she didn't go to work. The dumbass went there anyways. And that's a that's a huge indicator to police is You're when you act Yeah, is when you overcompensate. <laughs> yeah, this is after he's been told by everyone yeah. that she did not go to work. Yep. Oh, when Jesh. <laughs> it irritates me so much. When you start oh. when nothing when stuff starts oh. stops making logical sense, that's when suspicion steps in. Of course, to be fair, nothing in his life makes sense because he's so fucked in the head. Be- yeah, because he comes from an awful breed, obviously. <laughs> he even killed his sister's pet. We're going to get into that. All right. We're going to get okay. into that. We're going to get into that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So going back, oh. Kira's getting all sorts of excited I about like, Josh. Josh. Oh, <laughs> I so, want to find that actress and have her say that clip for us, only it's me. Josh. Like, hit her up on Instagram. Be like, Nadia, please say dish. I love that show. <laughs> um, okay. So, at 5 p.m., so again, whole day, it was run down. Whole freaking he's day. he's trying and failing to set up an alibi. He's taken to the, the police station for questioning. He claims at that time that he had left Susan sleeping at home shortly after midnight on December 7th and had taken his boys on a camping trip to Simpson Springs in western Utah down in the, in the sticky sticks. In the snow. In the middle of December. Actually, beginning of December. When it was snowing. When it was snowing. With two kids. Three and five? Yeah. They were very young. One was born in 2005. One was born in 2007. So young. And they're so And this cute. is 2009. Yeah. So one is two and one is four. And they were so cute, too. And I'm they were the kids. Squishable. Like, they're their so cheeks. Cute. I know. Like, squishable cheeks how could such an ugly weird that's what killed me about this case when i when oh, i heard the no. murder suicide i was like he was guilty oh. ain't nobody killing their own and, kids and what he did before he blew them up yeah oh because that. Okay. Oh, that was oh, even more disturbing than him yes. doing suicide oh my god i hate him so much and i'm getting goosebumps because i'm full of rage right? and just susan powell is channeling herself through me right now <laughs> so he had taken his boys on a camping trip to the sticks in the desert, 
in winter. The West Desert. In in December. Yep. Simpson Springs, Utah. Police visited Simpson Springs in Dece- on December 10th, but found no evidence of the campsite that Joshua had described. They also found it suspicious that Joshua would take his young boys out camping in blizzard conditions yep. after midnight. <laughs> I just stopped right there because, like, that's all the proof I needed. Yeah. So let me get this straight. You're from Washington. <laughs> Where You've lived in Utah. Worse. Yep. And after midnight, not even 10 p.m., not 9 p.m., you know, not 3 p.m. when the sun's still up. No. You're going to drive. I've driven this. Like, I've driven this four or five hour from, you know, Salt Lake to St. George or from, you know, Salt Lake to go see my dad's resting place in Emory. It's it's a long, awful drive. (laughs) Awful. You get burnt in the summertime and oh God in the wintertime. If you oh, go, that'd be so scary. Coming, I drove yes. from St. George to Salt Lake in November one year around Thanksgiving for somebody for a funeral, uh-huh. and it started snowing, and I seriously oh, thought man. I was going to die on the road. Oof. Ain't nobody, ain't no sane person taking their little babies after midnight. <sighs> He's clearly not sane. Oh, I hate Jish. 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 Ugh. It's almost um, bad. Well, it's worse than dickhead, Dan. Way worse. Way worse. So that the, he would take his young boys out camping in blizzard conditions after midnight when he was scheduled to go to work at his job hours later. <laughs> Josh had not told Sunday. his boss that he would not be coming into work that day and explained to police it was because he thought it was Sunday <laughs> rather than Monday. You have your cell phone. You can't use that as an excuse because he was using his cell phone constantly. There's record. There's proof that he left voicemails. It tells you what damn day it is every screen you're at, even on your, like, And not not only that, but it's poor planning, because even if... He always is. Even if you thought that you were leaving Friday night, you would still be leaving Saturday morning at midnight Uh to make a four-hour drive, (laughs) to spend half a day camping, to make another four-hour or five-hour drive back home before you had to go to work. With just your two kids. And they're... They didn't... I'm a white male... Who has two children under the age of five, and I'm driving over four hours. That's not screaming abduction. Not true. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I have to work the next day. Absolutely not true. Bullshit. I call bullshit on you. For numerous Bullshit. <laughs> Suspicious as all get out. Mm-hmm. I don't believe this dude one bit. Absolutely not. They just Westville CDPD, let's open a case. You got it. <laughs> We're investigating. So... On December 9th, the Ugh. investigators found trace of Susan's blood on the floor. Life insurance policies on Susan's on Susan for 1.5 million US dollars and a handwritten letter from Susan expressing fear for her life. Mm-hmm. DNA test results released in 2013 matched one blood sample with Susan while another sample was determined to have come from an unknown male contributor. Which be many things because Josh had brothers which are suspiciously linked into all this. Michael who is also dead. Everyone involved is dead except for the cool brother and the dickhead sister and the cool sister. That poor cool sister is just shrouded in shit. Poor soul. I feel for you lady. Right. So police interviewed the couple's elder son Charlie. So this is the one that was born in 2005. He would have been Uh, Four years old at the Mm -hmm. time his mom disappeared. 
He confirmed that the camping trip Joshua oh, described so took sad. place. However, unlike his father, he stated that Susan had gone with them and that she did not return. And she was in the trunk. He drew pictures and everything. Oh. Weeks after her disappearance, a teacher reported that Charlie had claimed his mother was dead. Furthermore, Susan's parents, Chuck and Judy Cox, claimed that while at daycare several months after the disappearance, Brandon drew a picture of the van with three people in it and told carers, carers that mommy was in the trunk so sad oh oh it just gets more heartbreaking the whole damn time in august 2012 (sighs) west valley city pd released documents showing that josh took actions that the actions josh took were highly suspicious following susan's disappearance so not it took only, them that long to figure that out. No, it's not that it took them that long. It's that police are not allowed to release stuff until That's there's true. no question as to the validity of what they're about to state. And sometimes it takes a long time to get enough evidence yeah. in order to make those statements. Which so is, this is when I went back to like, even though there's so many injustices, it's so much more complex than yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. It's it's just a <laughs> it's it's just a fuck cluster yeah. in every way, shape, or form. Um. Ugh. So not only did this dude, or rather, not only did they find the blood, the handwritten letter, and the life insurance policy, right, at the time. Mm -hmm. In 2012, they additionally stated that Josh had liquidated Susan's retirement accounts, canceled her regularly scheduled chiropractic sessions, and he withdrew his children from daycare. And he sold all their toys. He also previously spoke to co-workers about how to hide a body in an abandoned mine shaft in the western Utah desert. Yep. And he also Googled it. They find later when they confiscate his... Yeah. And there's so many mines that are so unsafe that people can't even investigate. She could be anywhere in there. All of, and we've said this before, yep. all of the Utah desert is pretty much old mining ghost towns. Uh-huh. There are so many mine shafts that at this time, you'd probably think they were just mounds of dirt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yep. that's how many there are in Utah. That's how much Utah's been mined. And they're so unsafe to go in. And they're incredibly deep. Those miners yeah. got oh, really yeah. far down before they would shut, before they would shut it down. Mm-hmm. So she could be in any of them. So going back to 2010, while they were doing the investigation, on December 14th, he retained an attorney in connection with the investigation, and police said that he grew increasingly uncooperative. By December 24th, police now considered him, you're a person of interest. Solidly, you're a person of interest. (laughs) When he should have been that in the beginning. Right. (laughs) And then on January 2000, or, or sorry, in January 6, 2010, he returned with his brother Michael to pack up the family's belongings, indicating he was moving permanently to, uh, to Polyp. Washington. So, 2009, she goes missing. Mm -hmm. They find the blood, the insurance policy, um, the handwritten letter. They they interview the son. He does the drawing. At this time, um, it's December, you know, it's mid-December. Joshua's hired an attorney. He's no longer cooperative. By the holidays, just after the holidays, he took his boys and himself and moved back up to Washington in the, with like the comfort of his brother, basically. And like any... Or aid of his brother. And any time that the police were trying to interview him, he, like, when he first got back to the house after he complained about the window, didn't mm-hmm. even care about Susan. He was complaining about the window. Right. And then he got mad at the children. And, like, the whole time the police were, like, looking in the house when they were first there, mm-hmm. he was very nervous when they got to, because there was a burn spot in the garage next Ooh. to this machine that he had just bought because he racked up this... 
because they were like, he declared bankruptcy so many times because he bought shit. So he right. recently opened up a Home Depot card mm-hmm. and was buying all this shit. And he bought this one. I can't remember what it's called, but it's to light significant fires. Mm-hmm. And there was this big torch stain in the um, garage where he clearly was burning something. <laughs> And he's just, the whole time, he would bring up the fact of other things and not care about So Susan he kept leading investigators astray from the information they were trying to get. Like, he kept redirecting the conversation. He wouldn't even really answer. And his answers, if you watch the um, interviews online, oh my god, they're so stupid. <laughs> You're like, how? Are you even listening to yourself? This is not believable at all. That's the thing about narcissists. Yep. <laughs> um, is that they... Like, I can't, it's hard to explain this because the unawareness is coming from a place of fight, flight, or fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but they think that they're in control of what they're doing. So they think that they're consciously aware, but they're not. Yeah. It's kind of like when someone goes into a state of shock and what they're saying isn't quite coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, or like maybe they can answer who they are, but they can't answer what just happened. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. And like, like when the kid was being interviewed, mm-hmm. um, they asked, do you know where your mom is in? He said, she's with the crystals. I like that you said that. Because Dugway. <laughs> There's geos. Because developments uh, between 2010 and 2012, because mm-hmm. the story ends tragically in 2012. Oh. On September 14, 2011, Utah authorities discovered a possible grave, start, grave site while searching Topaz Mountain, a desert area near Nephi that Joshua had frequented as a campsite. There were signs of a recent soil disturbance and shoveling, but after digging a few feet down, police were unable to find any remains. In spite of careful sifting of the soil, federal anthropologists also ruled out the possibility of a site being an ancient burial ground. They continued to examine the site, but they didn't get anything new. They were also utilizing sniffer dogs. So they were adamantly trying to find anything that would connect Susan... Or that would place Susan there and would Mm -hmm. connect Josh to it as well. So they really did. That's one thing is that, you know, having my experience um, with my abusive ex, I felt like I was disregarded a lot. And so when you get, whenever I hear about a case in Utah that goes through this amount of investigating death, that's how I know, like, it's serious. Like, that's how I know that things are overtly suspicious is because the police are actually dedicating their time to it. Yeah. And being earnest in what they're doing instead of just being, you know, making up excuses. Mm-hmm. So when Josh moved back to Palo Up, he occupied a home with his two sons, his father, Steve, and his brothers, Michael and Jonathan, and his sister, Alina. He indicated that he would rent out his house in Utah and that he had returned because he had lost his job. Mm-hmm. So here's where it gets even more suspicious because after he moved up there, this there was a website that uh, called SusanPal.org was launched, and it was the official <laughs> website of Susan Powell. And the anonymous entries defended Joshua as the victim of a smear campaign by Susan's family, his estranged sister Jennifer, and the LDS Church. So classic narcissistic behavior. I didn't do it, and people are against me, and these are the people you need to look at who are against me. And guess who started that website? <laughs> Either him or his brother. That family. Yep. And his dad. They're all linked into that, so it would seem like they're being sympathetic, but they're really trying to weave a whole other set of lies to get off the pressure and right. the sights off them onto something else. Right, because if you can't defend yourself or deflect. make yourself look... Deflect. Thank you. Yep. yep. Exactly where I was going. 
Yep. I, I hope everyone's taking notes because we're giving some genuine <laughs> clues on how to identify a narcissist or a, a potential serial killer. Because we're we're very, very versed in narcissists. <laughs> Both with personal experiences, unfortunately, and also with our weird obsessions with crime and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I think Kara and I both took psychology classes at I one point. I did not. I did. I'm, I just hang out with crazy people. <laughs> so she has friends with, like me who and originally started their people. school college career in psychology. Yeah. Um, everybody should know my family's fucking crazy at this point. Are you listening to me? I mean, we're all crazy, but to what extent, really? So while they were living at the Powell house, one of his brothers, either Michael or Jonathan, one of their wives was abused by Stephen, the father, the father-in-law. He, uh, we could do a whole episode on just him. He's so, ugh. so after this report came, or so after this, um, got reported to police, they then seized from his house in 2010 images of Susan, 4,500, 4, 4,500 images of her taken without her knowledge, including close up of specific body parts. Oh yeah. He went for the ass a lot. Um, police also investigated Michael, the brother, learning that he had sold his broken down Ford Taurus to a wrecking yard in Pelotin, Oregon, shortly after Susan's disappearance Suspish. and had later ordered Seattle images of the lot. Suspicion. It was too late. When police so found the car, a sniffer dog indicated that a decomposing human body had been in the trunk. Oh, all of but this. the DNA tests were inconclusive. Of course, because at that point, like, they wouldn't be because it's in the elements. DNA only lasts for so long unless you're super lucky at that point. Right. So Susan's family, the Coxes. But poor family. I feel for them. They were so at. I've never seen a, any case that's come out of Utah. I've never seen a family so earnest about getting justice and mm -hmm. making sure that their their grandchildren <laughs> were protected as the Coxes. Absolutely. I think the Coxes are like the unsung hero of they this case. They truly are. Because they were so cooperative. They never gave up. Mm -mm. I, they knew Susan was dead. Like they knew. Like as soon as she went missing, they're like, that motherfucker killed her. Mm -hmm. And all they wanted was for him to admit it and make sure that their grandbabies were safe. So they could make peace and move on. Yeah, so they could move on with their lives and raise mm -hmm. their grandchildren. So relations between the pals and the Coxes became increasingly hostile after police raided their home in 2011. Both Joshua and Stephen spoke to major new out outlets regarding journals that Susan had allegedly written about the relationship between Stephen and herself. Steve, of course, claimed that he and Susan had been falling in love prior to her disappearance. Oh, he's a mess. <laughs> and that this was supposed evidence that she was mentally unstable and could have run away with another man. Yeah, yeah. It was the dad that created that to deflect off of them yet again and there was a guy that came up missing in utah at the same time and that's who he blamed it on so but steven he was arrested on charges of voyeurism and child pornography after yep. police found evidence that he had secretly videotaped numerous women and young girls including susan in late september 2011 joshua's sister jennifer she was the one that was originally helping she's from the, the cool beginning one. yeah She's the good one. Stated that she believed Joshua was responsible for his wife Susan Powell's disappearance. His other sister Alina had also been suspicious of him as well. However, she withdrew her suspicion and felt that Joshua had been unduly harassed by the investigation. So it sounds like the women were hip to the abuse mm -hmm. and one of them was still manipulated by the men in the family and to resent her statement. I want to say that the youngest of the girls dad was being creepy that that makes sense because that would it would be a, like a Stockholm syndrome type mm -hmm. stuff um I don't care if it's family if they're doing something like that to you it's not okay so in 2011 the sisters made those statements 
At this time, West Valley City Police had spent more than half a million dollars on the case. In late 2011, Joshua underwent a series of court-ordered evaluations in Washington. The evaluations determined that Joshua had adequate parenting skills, a steady employment history, and no criminal criminal record or history of domestic violence. However, these same uh, evaluations also raised issues concerning the ongoing, ongoing criminal investigations, Joshua's failure to admit normal personal shortcomings, his overbearing behavior with his sons, and his persistent defesi- defensiveness and paranoia attributed to the police and media attention in conjunction with underlying narcissistic traits. Underlying. The whole shit is narcy narcy. Right? But see, that's where, like... I think this is where, like, I personally got negated in my situation and where a lot of people get negated is because instead of saying, no, they are narcissistic, they say, oh, but that's just underlying because look how stable they are in other areas. That's that's how they get you. There's a thing called masking. Uh (laughs) People who are neurodivergent and pretty much all people that have any type of personality disorder are, um, they learn how to adapt their behavior to be socially accepted. And so you can't... Look at Bundy. Yeah. Thank you. Bundy is my number one... Or Hitler. Those are like my two biggest... When people try to say, but they don't seem that way. I'm like, well, look what Hitler did or look what Bundy did. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Pretty much anyone in politics. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. Because that's just Narcy Central. So because of these evaluations, um, the recommendation was for Joshua to have visitation with his son several times a week, supervised by a social (sighs) worker. Oh, Oh, we're getting into the even Here's worse. where we're getting into the sad oh, end of the story. Man. In the last week of January 2012, Utah police discovered 400 images of stimulated, of simulated, sorry, simulated child pornography, bestiality, and incest on a computer seized from the Powell family home. This family is fucked in the head. Fucked. Straight fucked, up fucked. fucked. Like, super wrong. Ugh, on so many levels. Right? Ugh. Disgusting. Shame on you all, Powells. So the pornography had been cached when viewed by the previous owner of the computer, which had been purchased by Susan secondhand. So here's where it gets complicated because it was purchased (laughs) by Susan, but there was a previous owner. Yeah. Where they found the porn was in a cache, um, was cached. So it wasn't anything that was active. It was something that had once been there Mm -hmm. and it was, or, you know, hidden on a partition type thing. And then also it was taken out of the entire pal home. So, and with Steven already having the charges, it's really hard to determine, was this the original owner? Was this Steven? Was this Josh? Was this someone else that put this porn on here? So this was eventually thrown out because the images were not illegal due to their being in a hand-drawn or cartoonish 3D format and were cause for great concern. Um, Particularly given Joshua's early denial of of possessing any such materials. Um, yes. Josh was recommended to receive a more thorough psycho psychosexual evaluation and polygraph test, but suggested no change in the visitation schedule with the pal boys. So oh. there's a lot of classic uh, serial killer in the making behavior mm-hmm. from Josh, for sure. Um, Environment, too. Right. The... Um, so so sexual assault, particularly child sexual sexual assault, is an indicator of a serial killer and sociopathic behavior. Like, that is something that is usually pretty common. We mentioned on our... Um, on our serial killer episode, how sexual fetishes and attachments and things also are very prevalent. Like unhealthy sexual attachments and fetishes are also prevalent mm-hmm. and sociopathic. Josh, for some reason, found pleasure in killing small animals. We had multiple sets of gerbils growing up, and he, for gerbils. some reason, enjoyed killing the little babies. Oh. Which he grew up killing his own little babies. Yep. God. Yes. Gross. It's true. So, 
he's still a person of interest. He's hiding behind his lawyer. He's living with his family. He has now, it has now been discovered that, hey, you are not mentally stable because we've given you these evaluations. You now need to have supervised visits with your kids because we don't necessarily trust you, especially with this ongoing investigation. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this is where our story ends very tragically. So it's one of these visits in which Josh takes the not only his own life, but the life of his two sons. So Josh was 36 at the time. One of his sons was seven. His other son was five. This was in uh, February of 2012. Mm-hmm. So... The social worker comes with the children. Worse. So I'm going to read this as it says in, in Wikipedia. So on February 5th, 2012, social worker Elizabeth Griff- Griff- Griffin Hall called 911 after taking Charlie and Brayden to a supervised visit at Joshua's house house in South Hill. Hall, who was supposed to monitor the visit between Joshua and the boys, reported that he grabbed them and would not let her through the door. Soon thereafter, the house exploded, killing Joshua and the two children. Local authorities treated the case as a double murder-suicide, saying the act appeared to have been deliberate. So what actually happened, though, was much more tragic than that. This was from the caseworker. Mm -hmm. She knocks on the door. Hey, I'm here for your visit. Here's your kids. He grabs his two sons, looks her straight in the face, slams the door. She obviously knows something's wrong. She gets on the phone, calls 911. In the process of 911, the house blows up. She thought she smelled gas. And she, yeah, she thought she smelled gas. Mm-hmm. They go to investigate. And this is what I remember. They went to investigate and basically he had communicated somehow that he was going to do this. I can't remember if it was a note to somebody or a phone call. He was given phone calls and he sent emails. And he sent to emails. To all of his friends and family that he loved. And basically at this time, his parent-in-law... So um, the Coxes had been awarded custody. Mm -hmm. So like this was one of his last visits with his son before they got he had to give up his custody rights. He basically said, I can't live without my boys. Mm -hmm. So when his boys were in the house, he was like, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Trust daddy. He then took a hatchet, slammed it into each of his son's skull so that they would die immediately before the blast. Mm hmm. So the last thing these little boys saw was their dad coming at them with an axe. So tragic. And then he lit the house on fire because he had doused it in, like, gasoline or something mm-hmm. um, that would make it burn faster and explode. Yep. And the whole... Have you listened to the the two 911 phone calls that this poor no. social worker... You should. It gives me goosebumps. Two times she had to call back. The dispatcher, and I know you guys were card and whatnot, but this, the first dispatcher that she dealt with was just, like, telling her it's not emergency and was, like, trying to shoo her off the phone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then it exploded. So then she called back and she's like... The house exploded. Yeah. Why are you guys not here? So so even though she was a social worker, she was still dismissed. Yes. And she kept saying, yeah, I have a bad feeling. She, yeah. yeah. That was one of I the have things. a bad that, feeling. She's like, no, this is a supervised. Exactly. This guy's involved in a murder and investigation. I have listening. a bad feeling. And mm-hmm. they just dismissed her. Yeah. She was explaining everything. Even he's in, involved in a murder, a missing person investigation. Yeah. And the dispatcher was just like, fuck off. I don't care. Right. 
Dude, if you're like that, don't be in that job because you need to listen. <laughs> there is some small um, justice that came out of this, and that was um, the Coxes ended up suing the state of Washington because mm-hmm. they felt that they did not protect the boys. And they didn't. And they didn't. And they won. So they won. Um, I don't remember. I know it was in the millions, but I don't remember how much. I just mm-hmm. remember they won a lot of money. But how tragic. Yeah. And I really it do feel for the Cox the- family. Absolutely. And they're just good people. All they wanted to do was raise their their grandbabies because Mm -hmm. they didn't have their daughter anymore. Yeah. So I really feel for them. Um, But this is definitely a case where I'm going to say the husband did it. And I specifically think that the husband killed his sons not because he couldn't live without them, but because his sons would expose him. Because they were talking. (laughs) And he couldn't handle the fact that his sons would know that he was a narcissist. Like, for me, it all comes back down to his ego and, and nothing else. So... For Susan Powell, I saw a thing recently when I was doing the research for this mm-hmm. of stuff I didn't know about it. Yeah. So one one reporter has a theory, and it makes sense. Tell me. What's this theory? So when Susan did a video because she was going to divorce Jess, yes. the, her lawyer said to record, things. record every asset and everything you own. So she went through, and he has a lot of power tools and stuff because he opened up that Home Depot card. Right. And and she did this days before she she disappeared. <laughs> so um he has lots of power tools. More power tools than he would ever use. Mm-hmm. And um so this reporter is thinking that it's uh I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's like a power drill type thing. Okay. Because um earlier after she is missing, they wanted to look at his car, and that's one of the times he went weird and crazy, but they were just trying to find evidence stuff. That's right. how they found the phone in her, in the van. Right. Um, so they've in, they found this bag in the rental car, because they, ch- they checked out two different, um, his vehicles. First mm-hmm. was the van, where they found the phone. Right. And then they called his bluff, like, why did you call his phone? When, look, her phone's right here the whole time. Right. And then, um... The next one was the rental, and they found, like, some supercharred um, stuff, like, something had been melted to dispose, like, maybe a murder weapon. Mm. So this um, reporter, I don't know if he exactly is a reporter or investigator, but he's like, this looks real familiar, because all the pieces they found were pieces of a drill or something like that. So he's like, it's been torched, so he's like, I'm going to try that. So he did that, and it looked very similar, but the color was slightly different. Mm. And he's like, I wonder if those, I can't remember. Oh, he talked to his friend. And so the original one had more, like, gray ashy stuff on it as well. Instead of just black, burnt, melted stuff. Right. And so they're trying to think, what was that? So Josh had different different stuff around the house. He had gas and other accelerants. Right. And so... And they, they're like, he probably tried gas first and it wasn't It doing didn't burn the job. quick enough because yeah. it evaporates. Exactly. But that's where the ashy part came from. And then, like, doing the other accelerant, that's got it to look like how it was. So the, the reporter did it on his and then it looked so similar. So he did two different things. So the first one was that. So he and the parts looked like almost the same. The only difference from what the reporter used was there was like a built-in flashlight thing on it and that was mm. it. But all the other parts were exactly the same. So he might have figured out what the murder weapon was for Susan. 
And that's where the torchy part on the burn part in the yeah. garage was. He was trying to get rid of so obviously the murder his, weapon. His, okay, so this is obviously Josh's family was involved with this. Absolutely. O- obviously. At least his brother Michael. Uh-huh. So the way that I think it would play out is that um, I don't know what the motive to kill Susan would be other than... He was losing... She would take everything probably. <gasps> So money and right. children. So maybe. I know I understand, and that's what I was gonna say. Oh. Like I feel like the only motive on his end would be financially, right? Yeah. And ego, maybe. But see, that's where I—that's where I don't like the financial. I don't think it was financially motivated. I yeah. think it was personally motivated. Like that makes sense because what? I feel like the dad gave him instruction. Like I feel like his dad brainwashed him into killing his wife, but I don't know why. But like. He was so obsessed with her, though, unless it's because he was obsessed and she rejected him. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think that Stephen was like, well, she doesn't want my son and she doesn't want me. Just get rid of the bitch. There was even one point where he wanted to share Josh. Like, he wanted... Like, they wanted to have, like, a a threesome with, like, this... Steve wanted Josh to share Susan with him. Gross. Because he was so in love and Susan was married to his son, so... One of the at and one that's, time that's what I'm saying though that. is that like let's say Stephen yeah. is a narcissist, so his greatest aspect is going to be his son. His son has now attained this wonderful woman. This wonderful woman wants neither of them. Mm-hmm. And if they're both narcissists, do you see how like yeah. they would feed each other yeah. off of hate and be like, "We'll just get rid of her then." That makes sense. You know what I mean? So I feel like I feel like Stephen was the brains. I feel like because Josh sure didn't have them. I feel like Josh <laughs> was the brute because he was a sociopath and maybe a little touch in the head like maybe he was you know had some sort of cognitive disorder that made him more inclined to be a serial killer or a killer in general i guess not serial yeah well no he killed three people that's serial right didn't we say that you gotta kill at least three it's very true when we did our research i think maybe the motives though are like yeah the reasoning behind it might be a little different and then his brother was obviously involved but i think the brother was there also as the brute to help get rid of the evidence. But I think, I think the so. mastermind was the father, Stephen. That makes sense. Yeah, and Michael killed himself. That's the other thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when investigators it. started closing in on Michael after Josh had killed himself and their sons, Michael ended up killing himself, too. Yep. And then Stephen, once he finally got out of prison, they were trying to get any last thing because he had a heart attack. So mm-hmm. he was in, like, this kind of like a halfway house thing yeah like a recouping house yeah well it, it was before he had the heart attack like he okay. got out of prison or, or whatever i can't remember but he Residential had a heart trainers. attack yeah and then they were trying to get an interview with him so they could be like if please like if you know anything now is your time you know to make make amends and yeah let us solve where susan is right but he died before they could so he had a heart attack and him. he died so he died. Yeah. It almost sounds like Susan came back from the grave and took down all I the mean, men that killed her. Ultimate revenge. <laughs> and her, her family got left with millions. But it's like but her her body though. I know. Her body has gone just somewhere. Sad. That is very sad. And the kids. It's just fucked. It's man, it's the hatchet that gets me every time. I know. Like, like that's how I know he didn't love his sons. Absolutely. Wouldn't you just I mean, even if you were gonna do a murder suicide, wouldn't you just hug your boys and then throw the match? Why would you put an axe through their head? Exactly. Or like let them sleep, like sedate them. Yeah. Do it so they're not like right. actively suffering. They're and through all of this stuff, and again, you guys need to listen to Cold because it goes more in depth on just how fucked everything is. Because we just scratch the surface; it yeah. is like so layered. But like he, he didn't care about his children 
unless like people were watching it it made him look important and then that's when he actually cared otherwise it was susan doing everything yep that's classic narcissistic Uh behavior only when i can get only when i can get an image out of it am i going to do it exactly it's just heartbreaking and those kids again are so cute they were adorable boys very adorable so what kind of music are we going to listen to to lift our spirits now that we talk about such depressing things well going on a slightly a detective type frame while we do this tracy dickey is ready for it let's hear him what a cool detective name i stole dick tracy's name and reversed it i know you did it cool i'm just like i'll just be double o ho again double o my gamer tag double o ho on the game double o ho um, She's got to no. double down on some songs, see? <laughs> that's, that's right. See? Listen up. Meh. Meh. <laughs> so, number one, I went with the James Bond theme. Yep. Because as I'm doing my investigativeness as double O Ho, you know. Double O Ho James Bond. Why didn't I think of that? You're a genius, Mary. And then, next one. Yep. I went with Apocalyptica's version of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. Because the cellos, man, just get to the soul. Right. They're like the ultimate emotion machine. Right. Then I went with Black Audio. It's not going well. Fitting. (laughs) Absolutely. Josh, hard look at you. Jish. Jish. And then I went with Michael Jackson's Dirty Diana. I like it. Um, I'm bringing back some Ice Nine Kills. Grave mistake. Because (gasps) you're avenging... The death. Yeah, but like it. Cold case solving. Then I went with some Nikki Heaton Wusha, which definitely applies to this um, Susan Powell case. Heck yes, it does. And then um, Jealousy by Meg Meyer. Because of Jish (laughs) and Steve. Yeah. Then I went with In Vogue for your mind. Nice. Which would have been more applicable for this one. I didn't (laughs) think about it. That's okay. But then I long hard road out of hell by Marilyn Manson. <gasps> Perfect. <laughs> and bring in some old school of my favorite band ever, Silverchair. Yes. Shade. We still want Aussie li- listeners. We see you, New Zealand. We love you. Yeah. We love you, Newsies. 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 <laughs> That's right. I apparently dubbed you Newsies. So oh, we so want my... you, Australians. <laughs> yes. Please listen to us, Aussies. Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. So my song list is going um, along the themes of, like, relationships with narcissists and how those can be deadly. Um, We have two good examples in this show alone. (laughs) And actually three. Only I got to survive mine. I was like, you're not the narcissist. So I have Stockholm Syndrome, (laughs) Blink-182, because both these women were in love with the men that became persons of interest. Tragic. I have Jane Doe, number nine. Because Salty Sally was unknown, and that's uh-huh. by Blitz Kid. I Perfect. Have, I have Bound and Gag by Creature Feature because it's about abducting someone's daughter and holding her for ransom, so I felt like that was a Susan Powell song. Absolutely. Um, I have The Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen because Never this song them. particularly talks about, like, a guy wanting another girl, but this other girl is going to wait and give herself to another man. So, mm-hmm. again, it has that whole creepy vibe. Super of, creepy. I like it. Yeah, like Josh and Steve. Ugh. 
Steve. I have special by garbage because these (laughs) poor women thought that these men were special and they weren't. It's true. That's perfect. Your whole list. I know. I I told you. I went off this whole theme of like being a victim, nailing it. I went detective style. I know, and I went victim. victim. I like it. Perfect. The, The dynamic. So number six, I have American Nightmare by the Misfits. Yes. Because her my, my baby looks so good in red, and he's talking about putting an axe in her head because yeah. she looks good in red. Um, or a power tool. Or a power tool, if you're Jish. Jish. I have Ava Adore by Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> Again, because, you know, he's the one that he adores. You'll be the mother to my child and a child to my head. Creepy. Creepy. Oh, Billy. <laughs> I have... Would you be so hot if you were dead by the damned? Because would we be talking about these women if they were if they weren't dead? No, nope. probably not. I mean, which would be a good thing. It would be a good thing. <laughs> it would be a very good thing if these women were still alive. They'd be alive and, you know. Living their best life with other narcissistic boyfriends. Yep. I have Sleep Tight by The Creep Show because it talks <laughs> about getting murdered by your lover and how she comes back to haunt them. Because, Susan, I know you got the Powell family. I know you did your unfinished business. You go, girl. And then the last song I have is Pieces of You by Stellar Corpses because he talks about chopping up a woman and keeping her head on top of his dresser and whatnot. Dude, you nailed it. Yeah. Victim <laughs> songs. Those are my victim songs. And also, like, if you are a victim or know someone that's a victim, get them help. Like, Yes. It's not always easy to put reason into the victim's head. It's not. But try and you just be there. Be there for them. Definitely support them, believe Absolutely. them, and gently encourage them to yeah. do the right thing. Yeah. Um, please don't ever shame a victim. No. Because shame is the reason why women and men stay in abusive relationships. And they because, don't tell anyone. Right. Because they're afraid that they're going to be shamed or that people aren't going to believe them. Like that's when I got raped. Yeah, exactly. I did not tell anyone because how yeah. Mormons are around here. Well, and like with... And just in general. Right. And with the abuse I suffered as a child, I didn't tell anyone either because I knew that people wouldn't believe me when I told them. And they didn't when I finally did. So... um, tragic. No, nothing's ever going to get better in human life if we keep ignoring Mm -hmm. what we hear and what we see. Exactly. We need to expose the nitty gritty and change. And sit with discomfort until it becomes better. Absolutely, because history repeats itself. And it, it repeats itself because it's not comfortable because we're not doing shit about it. Facts. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a victim. Nope. So believe them. Although, I would like to be a victim of our silver fox. Because <gasps> who, Kira, who oh. is our silver fox today for cold cases? <gasps> Michael C. Hall, a.k.a. Dexter. Dexter. The Which best. there's a new season now. <gasps> That's right. I didn't They're even think about that. Oh, love him. Truth oh. be told, I did not watch season seven through eleven. I only got past season six and stopped watching. When Julia Stiles yeah. departed, yeah. that broke my heart because yeah. I knew because Dexter sat there and fell in love with her. And I'm like, boy, don't do it. She only wants vengeance. Uh-huh. She doesn't have a dark passenger, honey. Nope. She just she just wants she vengeance. Just, yep. She's just a. Uh, a victim of vengeance. And then he got used. <laughs> I like know. like he uses people. It, yeah, he does. What I he like can use me. I That's write. fine. <laughs> Michael C. Hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, he, you know, has the square face and the broad shoulders, things that I love. He looks amazing with a beard. 
because oh, he has like the, the chestnut colored hair has oh. his beard and he's all dressed up and he's so got this like pouty lip thing that i'm really digging which normally men can't rock right. but mm, michael c right. paul cancer survivor he is yeah cancer survivor see people don't give up if you get cancer Dexter did it. He didn't. I love how his career is primarily um, <laughs> horror related because he was in Six Feet uh, Six Feet Under. I forgot about and that. And then he That's was in Dexter. Show. Yeah. And so most of his fame has been of the macabre type. Mm-hmm. I really like him. He's so perfect for it. He is. I liked that Dexter was a, even though he's a serial killer, I, I like to he's think of him one. as a vigilante. Exactly. Because he's only killing killers. That get away with it. Yes. That's he's, the way he's, to do it. He's bringing justice mm-hmm. in a way. Um, people who who bring justice like that, I like to call them antiheroes because they're <laughs> yeah. actually doing it. Like Batman is technically a vigilante and an uh-huh. antihero. Absolutely. Michael C. Hall should be Batman. <gasps> Are I you hearing he's too this? Short is would he be? Let's find. Out. Let's find out. Mary's favorite game. How tall is this man? <laughs> it's true. It really is. I really. I have to know how tall he is because I thought he was like six feet. He could be. I just think of him as short. But his wife, who was his sister, is I tall. Think, I think that was his second wife, wasn't it? Or I is don't that know. His first wife? I just know that at some point they were married. They were. They got divorced in 2011. So you're saying we have a chick. We do. I also didn't. It, her name was Jennifer Carpenter. I didn't like her because she was in The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, yeah. That's a terrible movie. And, like, her face is weird. She has kind of her a lazy eye. And face she has, is weird. And she has, like, a... Like, her lip curls up weird at one she end. She seems like she's an unhappy person because she has a stick up her butt. I All just, the time. I didn't understand. That's why I didn't like Deb. I didn't understand why someone like Dexter would find her attractive. Because Michael C. Hall is very attractive and she was not. Yeah. She's, like, average, but, like, the average teeter-tottering on odd. Homely. Oh, yeah, that's it. Just a shade outside of homely, because yes. she's kind of pretty, but yeah. not much. Yeah, like average enough. He is five foot ten, so no, he's, he's not tall. quite six feet, but no, he's almost there. He's taller than the majority of men nowadays who are, like, short. I guess. I don't know. He's still not, like, tall, but he's on the higher end of average. Yeah. Height-wise. Yes. Yes, he's close to being tall. And he's beyond average in the hot factor. It's true. For looks. He does. I also like um, his his muscle density. It's yeah. it's enough to notice, but not too not much gross. to be like your your rocks. You know what I mean? Like I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm laying my head gently on the wasatch. And you I know? love his voice. I am a sucker for voices. He hasn't a I guess I just his voice never struck me either way. I ooh, I don't know what it is, but I have a thing. If you have a hot voice, I mean, you have to have looks to go with it because I am shallow. But, <laughs> and I'm admitting it, I'm very shallow. I'm getting better in my ripe age of whatever age we are. But <laughs> I like voice. I think that's why I love, like, certain bands because their voice. I'm just like, oh, there goes my pants. Right. <laughs> no, that's Davey true. Havoc, Maynard. Male voices can be very sexy. Mm-hmm. His is not one that jumps out at me. I, I don't know why it does for me. I do like how uh, pragmatic he is as Dexter, mm-hmm. but I think that's just because of how I <laughs> of how I present myself where I'm just like <laughs> too blunt. <laughs> All right, my fellow IMDb man. Did you know yes. I have an IMDb? 
you have your own IMDb? I do, because I did makeup for a movie. Oh, cool. And they set up my own IMDb, but I can't put up my picture. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just me, and it says, I can't even update the movies that I've done. It just says my name, and then the movie that I did. (laughs) Send me the link. I want to look at it. Okay. Be like, like, I podcast with this girl. She's famous. (laughs) It's very basic. I've never seen any of the movies that Michael C. Hall is in. I've only seen him in Dexter and Six Feet Under. But it looks like he is has been in a few movies. Oh, Game Night. Have you not seen Game Night? I haven't seen Game Night. Oh, my gosh. He's the Bulgarian. I forgot about that. Game Night's pretty funny. Man, he's in a lot more stuff than I even knew. He is. He's in quite a few things. And, again, I've never seen any of these movies. <laughs> so, Mr. Michael C. Hall... We love how you play Dexter. Mm-hmm. Dexter can be my vigilante any night. Absolutely. And yes, you can take a sample of my blood. <laughs> Willingly. Willingly. <laughs> and I won't tell anyone about your slides. <laughs> that was the other thing. Dexter has the most interesting trophy because he just takes a sample of blood. I know. Michael C. Hall, thanks for being <laughs> our silver fox you of the week. handsome blood analysis expert. Mm-mm. Serial vigilante, we love you. We so love you. So, Mary. Yes, Kara. Where can they find us? Our listeners can find us at 801-40-CCULT on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And if they are so bold as to email us, they may do so <laughs> at 801-4-CULT-VIX-VIX at gmail.com. So make sure you follow us, make sure you interact with us, and make sure you keep listening to us. And spread us like the plague. Like the COVID. <laughs> <laughs>